blesses a church to um, have the opportunity to um, have Bruce serve as one of our deacons. And so uh, that will be something we will vote on <clears throat> in the brief family conference at the end of uh, this morning. Um, last Sunday we started uh, talking about a reason to believe and to put this into context, uh, my perspective is that we live in a culture that in my lifetime has moved from being uh, quasi-Christian to being maybe ambivalent towards Christianity to more and more coming to a place in our culture, this is just reality, <clears throat> that is opposed to and seeks to even to seeks to destroy Christianity um, and many times we uh, we don't have a, a rational defense for why we believe what we believe we simply express to people it's something that I believe in my heart but as I've challenged you I believe in the culture in which we live we have to have a rational, reasonable, intellectual defense for the gospel and why we believe what we believe. Uh, and so this spring, I uh, have set that before us, that we'll talk about a reason to believe. Uh, and I started last Sunday with uh, the stories of four men who in their own rights are intellectuals. Augustine, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. Uh, and, and we just talked about briefly their four stories of how they came down uh, an intellectual road to come to faith in Christ. And, and I want you to hear this, that it's not enough for them at one point to make what I described as an intellectual conversion. But eventually Christ had to do a work in their hearts to change their hearts. And so it's not just, not just mind, it's not just heart, but human beings are, are, are whole beings. And our heart and our minds and our souls are all uh, connected. And so last Sunday I wanted to answer the objection from the non-Christian side that would say no intellectual person would believe in Christianity. And you are now equipped to say, well, no, I know at least four people who were really smart <laughs> who came to faith in Christ. And I understand. I said this at the end of my sermon. To be intellectually honest, just because I told the stories of four intellectual men who came to faith in Christ, it does not prove Christianity. But it is evidence that is set before us. And at least in part, it answers the question, the objection, that no intellectual person could legitimately believe in Christianity. But there was another reason why I started the sermon series with those. Because if you take their stories as a composite, and I know we didn't go into a lot of detail, but trust that your pastor has. I want us in the weeks to come to follow their faith, their 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 journey down that road of intellect to come to the place where we could come to the end and say, no, I have 
a reason to believe. And, and I'm, I want to do that in the weeks to come. To basically go through the process that those men went through to come to the place at the end to believe that Christianity is true. Uh, we start, as all of them would have started, with this question, is there a God? And I want to set before you this morning that we have a reason to believe that God exists. We have a rational, logical, intellectual reason to believe that there is a God. Um, and really, philosophically, we start this morning with uh, two possibilities. Either there is no God or there is a God. And that's, that's what's set before us at the start. There is either a God or there's not a God. Uh, these two approaches, and uh, we can put this on the screen, it, it's the difference between atheism versus theism. Um, atheism is um, a belief that there is no God. Uh, the Greek word for God is theos. Uh, and when you put the, in the Greek it's an alpha, the alpha privative, it, which means not or non. Uh, obviously, and most of you would be aware of this, that atheism believes that there is no God. Now, to contrast that this morning, we, we talk about theism, and I want to be real up front in this first step. We are, even to come to the place to contend for theism, is not even to come to the place where we understand the personal God as revealed himself in the Scripture and ultimately through Jesus Christ. Understand that today. This is not atheism versus Christianity. At this point, it is simply atheism versus theism. Now, atheism is not new. Um, in Psalm 14, verse 1, David says, Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. It's probably a verse that you've heard before, but it's in Psalm 14:1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, atheism is not a new approach to life. It is not a new life philosophy. It is something that stretches back into ancient times. The second objection that I want to answer today is this objection that you cannot prove the existence of God. And in some respects, the atheistic side makes a legitimate claim. And I'm going to talk about that. Ultimately, we cannot prove God. But the question this morning, is there evidence to support that theism, that there is a God, is more legitimate and rational than atheism. 
And so I want to answer, answer that objection that you cannot prove in the existence of God. Um, the atheistic perspective of life um, is, is, is a philosophy approach, uh, and, and it is natural for it then to fall into what we would call naturalism. Uh, to, to say there is no God is to also then in turn have to make the claim that nature, what we can see and experience in this world, is all that there is. Uh, all that there is is only the observed material world. It is only the physical. And I want to throw out a term here. There would also be the contention that there is, there is then in turn, there is not the metaphysical. Uh, metaphysical would be uh, something that is beyond the physical, the material. It's not, so I want you to kind of, there's going to be some terms that we throw out that I want you to understand. And one of them is the, is the term metaphysical. It'll come up later in the sermon. Um, atheism and its naturalism would contend there is therefore no, nothing supernatural. What, what, what is supernatural? It's something that is greater than or beyond or outside of the natural, right? Take it at its, its word. Supernatural. It is beyond the natural. And so they believe that the world that we live in is a closed system and there is no God. In naturalism, uh, the atheistic uh, perspective of life would pit science against religion. They would say, well, that is what you believe by blind faith but there is no rational reason to believe that. They would say, we believe in the natural world and using reason to look at that. And so we believe in science. You believe in religion. And your religion is, is, is simply blind faith. And it starts with simply faith presuppositions. You have chosen, even though you cannot see it, to believe in a God. We believe in what we can see. Uh, and so they would, they would pit science against religion. Uh, they would believe in naturalism, that human life is simply the product of a random, mindless, evolutionary process. Evolution is in line with the naturalism and with atheism. It says that human life is simply a product of random, mindless, evolutionary process. Um, this is interesting, and I'm going to have to, Brother Shane, I need you really thinking this morning, okay? Um, the question would be to the atheist, the naturalist, then where did religion come from? If there is no God, why do people believe in God? Their answer would be that it developed in the evolutionary process is a, as a way for people to cope with their life. And it became advantageous for people in the evolutionary process to believe in a God even though it is not based in reality. And so I want you to get that and we're going to have to come back to talk about that. That it developed as a coping mechanism in the evolutionary process, but it is not, they would contend, not based in reality. Religion is just an evolutionary development to help human, humans survive, but it is not based in reality. And 
And finally, one other thing I would want to say is that the atheist naturalist placed the burden on us to prove that there is a God. Let me answer some of those. Um, I want us to understand from a philosophical perspective that atheism is also a religion. Atheism is also a religion. You can call it a worldview. You can call it a philosophical system. But to dismiss what to dismiss what we believe as simply religion is not philosophically uh, legitimate, because atheism is also a religion, a worldview, a philosophical system as theism and Christianity is because it makes truth claims and it has what I referred to earlier as faith presuppositions. Atheism also begins with a free, with a faith presupposition that there is no God. And so I would say, because theirs begins with the faith presupposition and they would accuse us of ours beginning with the faith presupposition, that they have as much burden of proof to prove that there is no God than for us to prove that there is a God. That is philosophically being honest and legitimate. There is much, as much a burden of proof on them uh, to prove that there is no God than for us to prove that there is a God. Um, <laughs> the other thing, and this is, I really shouldn't even say this. It's a little bit, I, have to, I had to think about this this week. If they dismiss Christianity because it was simply a way in the evolutionary process for human beings to cope with their life, even though it was not based on reality, if they can dismiss Christianity in that way, then to be philosophically honest, you have to say, then in turn, is it not possible for the naturalist, for us to say, well, is it not also true, or is it not also possible that naturalism, atheism, was a way that people coped in the midst of an evolutionary process to deal with life, but is not based on reality? And so their very uh, premise that tries to dismiss Christianity, if we are being philosophically uh, consistent, we could also dismiss theirs. Ravi Zacharias uh, says that every worldview must answer four questions. And Jeremy, this is what I want to put on the screen. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to leave these four up there. I want. I want to put all four up. Um, Ravi Zacharias, who's died this year or last year, as a Christian apologist, says that every worldview must answer the question of origin, meaning, morality, morality and destiny. Uh, where did we come from? What does this life mean? How are we to live? And what happens after we die? Every worldview, whether you're coming from atheism or theism, must answer these questions. I want to look at two of those this morning to talk about a reason to believe uh, in theism that there is 
a God. I want to talk about origin and I want to talk about morality for just a few moments. Uh, do you remember from the first sermon and from the first devotionals about this, the one thing that your pastor asked you to do was, I need you to think. <laughs> I need you to think with me about this. And I want to talk about origin and morality and, and to look at those. If, if, you, if we just broke it down to start with, what would atheism just generally answer for these four questions? Origin. The question is, we do not know where we came from. There is no meaning. There is no absolute standards of morality. And there is nothing after we die. Now that's atheism. And that's being philosophically consistent with what they believe that there is no God. What would theism contend? Theism would contend that there is a supreme being that created us. That that supreme being gives meaning to the life that we live. That supreme being sets standards of how we are to live. And our destiny is tied to that supreme being. Whom we have not even identified as the Judeo-Christian God yet. We're just talking about a supreme being at this point. Atheism versus theism. And so I would like us to take, oh, for just, I want to talk about two of the proofs or arguments for the existence of God. Uh, and I need about five minutes for each one of these. But I want to take the common ground that we have from the atheistic and the theistic side. This natural world. And so what I want to say is this is all we can see. Therefore, from what we can see and how our minds operate in rational thought, is there reason to believe that there is a God as opposed to there is not a God? Let's start with origin. This would, if you're going to Google this and you want to look at this later, and this goes back to Aquinas, um, this is the cosmological argument for God. And it goes like this. We have to rationally think that there either there is something that exists or there is nothing that exists. Well, today we're going we're gonna to take the side that something exists. There is something in existence. Because otherwise we would not be sitting here talking about existence if there was nothing that existed. And so we start with the, the statement that there is something that exists. And we come to the principle of cause and effect that says this. If there is something that exists, then it had to have a cause outside of itself that preceded it. Okay, and that's, that's a very rational, um, logical, reasonable uh, uh, principle of cause and effect. If there is something that exists, it had to have a cause outside of itself that preceded it. Nothing exists in and of, of itself. Nothing can produce itself. It has to have a cause outside of itself. If uh, I go down to Brookshire Brothers and I find an apple in the produce section, I, as a rational human being, knowing how the uh, world works. I know that that apple did not produce itself. It came from shock an apple tree. And then you have to ask the question, well, where did the apple tree come from? Well, it came from an apple seed. And, 
And this is what you can do philosophically in the, in the cosmological argument that relates to origin, is you begin to trace it back. Everything had to have a cause outside of itself that preceded it, and you begin to trace back. It is irrational to believe that you can stretch that sense of cause and effect into infinity in the past. All philosophers would say no, that can't be the case. Which brings us to the conclusion that there had to be a first cause. If you cannot stretch it back into infinity, there had to be a first cause. There had to be something that caused nature, that's what we're looking at, that was, what did we say? that preceded nature and actually in fact for it to create nature it had to be outside of nature it had to be something that is beyond nature because if it was some other aspect of nature that created that first starting point then you've just pushed the cause and effect back one other step are you still thinking with me this morning another way of stating this another people would say that every living thing had to come from living matter. But philosophically, we have to come to the place where we say that there had to be a first cause. There had to be something that was actually not a part of the physical nature that was immaterial, because if it was another material, then it's just taking the cause and effect back one other step, and was timeless. Because part of the material world is time. There had to be something that transcended, was greater, that was supernatural in its first cause. We have not identified that. But it is only rational to believe that there was a first cause. Actually, another way of stating this is that it is rational to believe that the, our universe, the physical world, had a beginning now, scientists have not always believed that, but in my lifetime, scientists have come to the place where they believe that the universe has not always existed, but the inner, that the, our universe had a beginning, which is, in street language, is described as the Big Bang. Now, the reason they know this is because our universe, they can detect, is expanding. If you go back in time, and they say 15 billion years, the universe would come to one point where it emanated from. Now the question would be to the atheistic materialist, where did that point come from? And the question is, we do not know. Here's the interesting thing that scientists would say, is that the universe comes out of the Big Bang from one point the moment before the Big Bang, you got to get this, what scientists would say is that point defied the, the laws of nature of the universe that was created. That's a lot to think about. But what they're saying is when the Bing, Big Bang occurred, the laws of nature also came into existence. Therefore, the dot that started all of this the moment before it started defies 
The physical laws of nature of the universe that came out of it, therefore the laws were created, and therefore before the dot became the Big Bang, it did not possess the physical laws of nature that now exist. It defied the natural laws that we know. How is that possible? And the answer is we do not know. From a theistic perspective, we believe that God is that first cause. There is a supreme being. He is the first mover. He is the giver of life. It is only rational that it had to be something that is beyond nature. And to the atheist who says nature is all there is, they cannot describe how a physical world could come into existence without something that is outside of nature. It is illogical. It is rational to believe that there was a first cause. There is some supernatural being that predated, preceded, and caused everything that exists that by nature is immaterial and timeless, therefore could have existed in all of infinity. Second, there will be more proofs of God in the more sermons. <laughs> Next Sunday we'll talk about uh, design, intelligent design, and we'll talk about creation. The second one relates to morality, and this is the metaphysical argument for God. Um, this is something observational also in our, in our natural world that we can observe about human beings, that human beings have a sense of right and wrong. Uh, actually, if you want to a more detailed discussion of this, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he begins Mere Christianity, which were radio talks in England in the 1940s during World War II. Uh, he, he uses this moral argument as a starting point for mere Christianity. But all human beings have a sense of honesty, fidelity, selflessness, justice, respect for others. There is something inside of human beings that says there are certain things that we ought to do. There are certain things that are right and wrong. And we all have a sense, even though it, it varies a little bit from culture to culture, there is this common sense of morality that has existed in all cultures that creates this standard of good. It is this innate sense in human beings that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. It is more than our physical instincts. Uh, a physical instinct would be, I'm hungry. Um, if I just lived out of my instincts, then I would go down to Brookshire Brothers and I would go to the produce aisle and I would get an apple and I would begin to eat it. Except there is something more than my instinct that says, wait a second, no, there is right and wrong. That apple is not yours. You can't have that. That is wrong. Uh, nothing else in the, in the created realm has this sense of ought, is what C.S. Lewis would describe it as. And um, the question becomes, where does that come from? If we are natural beings that were created by mindless, random process of evolution, as everything else in our world, where is this sense of right and wrong? Uh, this is what I would describe as the metaphysical. 
There is the physical part of being a human being. But there is something beyond a human being. There is the metaphysical side that is a different dimension to human life. It is not simply different in quantity. It is qualitatively different. And if you sit and you watch and you look and you think, as human beings you realize we are different than everything else in the created world. In fact, it's so staggering, it's mind-blowing. We're sitting here talking about philosophy as a part, as apparently evolutionary people who have risen to the place where we can sit in a climate-controlled room and we have technology. We have people that are joining us on live stream this morning. This is like nothing else in, 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 in the natural world. In fact, there is no explanation for it rationally other than Human beings have a metaphysical component to their life, a different dimension to life that we are different from everything else. And in fact, the proofs for that are science. For us to have science is to say that we are different from everything else. We are the ones studying all of the created, the natural world. And we are somewhat, we are above that. We have a will. We have morals, a sense of right and wrong. We have consciousness. We have reason. We have love, beauty, art, music, speech, literature. There is something different about human beings. From a Christian perspective, we say, for us, if we go back just to the morality, if there is this innate metaphysical sense of right and wrong, there is something beyond us. If there is a law within us, then there must be a law giver. In the Christian world, theologically, we say the reason we have this is because we were made in the image of of God and it makes sense if God is that first cause that he is that metaphysical other transcendent being that exists that if he made us uniquely in his image that we would also have that which is metaphysical transcendent to just the physical world in, in atheism and let me, let me bring this to a close in atheism you have naturalism. And in naturalism, there is no free will. There is no objective, absolute truth. There are no standards of morality. All is relative. Everyone gets to choose what they feel is right and wrong, even though they cannot answer, why do you even have a sense of what is right and wrong? In essence, what we do is we become our own gods. That is consistent philosophically, uh, that is philosophically consistent with atheism. There is no standard of right and wrong. I would use this simple illustration if I go over to Cole and I just punch him in the nose. And Cole says, hey, why'd you do that? Felt like it. Felt good to me. <laughs> hey, that's not right. I said, it's right for me. It works for me. Do you understand if there, is, if there is no transcendent lawgiver, 
If there is no morality, in fact, oh, we're going to come back to this later. Actually, it is the presence of evil that is one of the greatest proofs of God, strangely enough. That we have a sense, not just of evil, but of right and wrong. If morals, get this in the evolutionary perspective, if morals came from nature, if, if morals developed through an, inner, uh, uh, an evolutionary process so that we said, well, you know, it's more advantageous for me to love my neighbor than to not, here's the thing. If it was just a natural product of evolution, then we would always do it because it would be our nature. But we don't. It is the presence of evil that brings us to the place to say, why is it that I have a will that can choose? Not only do I know right and wrong, but I have a will. And then just the stark reality, sometimes I choose evil. Many times I choose evil. From an atheistic perspective, there is no free will. We are simply products of a natural, mindless, random process of evolution that benefits our survival. And there is no free will. But when we observe mankind, we know there is a will. And where does that sense of morality, that metaphysical dimension to life come from? It is rational, it is reasonable to say there is a being outside of us that instilled that sense, that metaphysical sense inside of us. In the midst of the natural, there is supernatural when it comes to human beings. Um, we have a reason to believe from a rational, reasonable, philosophical standpoint, it is more reasonable to believe that there is a God, that there is some supreme being, than to believe there is not. Now, won't you stand? I want you to understand this morning as we close, there are ramifications. There are ramifications to adopt an atheistic, naturalistic perspective of life because there is no meaning, there is no morality, there is no hereafter. And the implications of that are disastrous in a society and in a culture. We'll talk about that later. But I want you to know most of you have not adopted the atheistic perspective of life this morning, I'm hoping. But to begin this morning, to say there is a reason to believe there is a God begins to paint us into a corner as it relates to meaning and morality. And I want you to understand, this is what C.S. Lewis described in his testimony, Surprised by Joy. God began to close in on me. And the first step he took was to say, I believe there is a God. And we'll take it from there to talk about, is, is God personal? Did he create us? And what are the ramifications if there is a supreme being? Um...
Let me lead us in prayer as we close. Father, today we, um, uh, we thank you uh, for being God. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us not only to think about that, but to come to the place where we realize that the statement we've made is that we are not God and that you deserve a place in our hearts and our lives uh, if you are sovereign God. And so, Father, I pray as many of us in this room are Christians to say, God, if you are God, then how then shall I live? And, God, I pray that you would help us to come to that place. And, Father, just help us to be uh, the witnesses uh, in our culture, in the world in which we live. We pray that we would give not only our hearts but our minds to you. And you would help us in the days and the years to come to be effective defenders of the truth. And, Father, we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.